everybody. Um, I know we'll have a couple people who have texted me like, I'm seriously, I'm on my way. Um, so we'll probably go a little bit past 730, just a tad. But um, I want to welcome you guys and uh, welcome you to our very first parent lab and kind of tell you a little bit about how this came up and stuff. So first of all, I want to say that you are all incredibly brave for even being here. Um, just being here, you're already ahead of the game. And I want to just... Oh, sorry. I just want to encourage you during these uh, parent labs. Uh, but just being here tells us how much you guys really care about your kids. And um, I love the name of this parent lab because it is an experiment, right? I mean, that's what happens in laboratories. And this whole thing is an experiment for us. Um, I, I don't know any other church who's doing this. Um, I tried to look at other churches to, so I could steal their ideas and find out all the things you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And I really couldn't find any. So, you know, we're, we're kind of ahead of the curb on this and we're figuring this out as we go. But we really felt like this was really needed, that we really needed to do this and that this was super important. And the reason is, is because this is really intimidating stuff. I mean, you all know this as, as parents, and this is stuff that, you know, has intimidated all of us. And to be honest with you, it's stuff that the church hasn't wanted, to talk, hasn't wanted to talk about for a very, very long time. I mean, the church has been too scared to talk about this stuff for decades. So this is just an experiment. And, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, we don't have all of the answers. Okay, And even as I go through this and I talk about this and we explain this and as we do, do these, we're going to do these about four times a year. There may be stuff that you disagree with us about, which is fine. Um, that's okay. You have, you know, my full permission to say that I'm a crazy person or that the Davises are raising their kids wrongs or, you know, whoever else is up here speaking. And you're going to hear from all kinds of different parents and families and stuff. But, you know, one of the big reasons how this can't kind of came about is, I mean, I, I've been talking about this with our staff for a really long time, just kind of looking down the road and, and looking at the amount of kids we have and looking at the type of kids we have and, I, you know, we've just been kind of sitting there in staff meetings going, man, you know, next five, next 10 years, you know, when that eight-year-old is 18, when that three-year-old is 13, oh my Lord, uh, if, if they act the way they act, you know, behind the wheel of a car or, you know, we're like, wow, uh, we need to do some prep work. And we've also seen you as parents, you know, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but as your pastors, we watch you very closely and, uh, and we talk about you, uh, believe it or not. And we go, Ooh, wow. You know, um, I mean, we watched, <laughs> we watched them handle that situation and, Oh boy, uh, you know, when that kid can fight back, that's going to be scary. And so, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a long time, but then we, we've been getting, we always have our ear to the ground on data and statistics and studies and different stuff like that. And so then we started, you know, to learn even more about the things that, you know, your kid's generation are dealing with and, and things that your kid's generation are going to deal with and the things that our teenagers are dealing with and how youth ministry is changing and, you know, ministry to middle schoolers and all this stuff. And then we, geez, then we really got scared. And so, you know, the, the, how this kind of came about is, you know, uh, Kate and I, we, we had had the sex talk with our kids our five-year-old and our eight-year-old. And then I knew the Hellmans had had the sex talk with their kids. And I knew the real pills had had the sex talks with their kids, you know, because they went and saw Buzz Lightyear like sinners. And then, you know, and I was like, well, you know, well, you know, they, they're all having these conversations. And so I, I texted them all and I said, Hey, you know, 
we need to figure this out. We need to have a conversation about this and we need to understand these things better. And so could we, you know, start communicating with each other. And so, you know, we started to send each other podcasts and books and do this stuff. And we started a little text chain and I, I named the group, figure the sex thing out. And uh, my biggest prayer in life has been that I don't die in a car wreck and somebody find my phone and look through my messages and so oh, pastor he was into some wrong stuff he had this secret group in the church called figure this sex thing out and uh so but you know we've been communicating and talking and, and they've been helping me with this and we've been praying about this and talking about this and so um but the, the three of us you, you'll even hear among the three of us there are things that that, that we agree or we we disagree on and stuff and, and that's completely fine because we know and you know this every parent is different Right. Every parent is different. Every kid is different. Um, but we all agree we have to do something. Right. I mean, you guys, you have you have kids in middle school. You have kids in grade school. You have kids who are being homeschooled. We all understand that, man, we got to do something. We got to do something to prepare for this and to prepare our kids for this, because these kids have a really, really huge challenge ahead of them because they they grow up in a, a different era than we did. And, and, and grandparents, I'm, I'm excited to see some of you grandparents here. Your, your grandkids are growing up in an era that's totally different. They're growing up in different schools that are totally different. Um, there are things that they're going to be tempted with that you never were. And so we have to be prepared. We have to know what the signs are. We have to know what to look for. And we have to know, most of all, just how to, to talk to our kids about this stuff. So we're going to start with some questions. And we're going to give you guys about 10 minutes to have some conversation, okay? So there's going to be four questions. On, oh, actually, go back to that QR code. Let me explain this QR code really quick. Um, if you'll get your phones out and, and scan this, which I know I, I say this a lot, but so this is a link tree just for you. This is, we have a link tree just for parents for these things. And there's going to be some documents and things in here that you're going to want to look at that are going to be on the screen that you're not going to be able to read. So you're going to want to scan this and have this just open in your internet browser. Okay. So go ahead, scan that, hit that link, open it up. And, um, that's going to have some things for you. It's going to also have, you're going to see some podcast links in there, some podcasts that me and the group have used and listened to together that I think are very, very beneficial that gave us some of this information. And so anyway, I just want you guys to have that. So anyway, back to the discussion question. So there's going to be four discussion, discussion questions up here. You guys can go around. If you don't know anybody at the table, introduce yourself, say, Hey, my name is and stuff. Sorry, I don't talk to you at church. Um, and I stay in my little group and, uh, I want you guys to discuss discuss these questions. So the first question is, what's your biggest fear as a parent? And this can be really brief. Okay. Have you talked to your kids about sex? How did that go? If not, why haven't you done it? Okay. And then do, do you parent like your parents parented you? What do you do that's the same or different? And the last question is, what is something you hope your children never get involved with and have you talked to them about it? Okay. So I want to put 10 minutes on my phone, give you guys some opportunities to discuss and go. All right. I want to talk to you guys um, just about our upbringing. You know, a lot of us in this room. We grew up in the 90s, right? I mean, obviously, if you're a grandparent, you didn't. But a lot of us, we grew up in the 90s. And a lot of us in the 90s, you either were, you know, becoming a teenager or finishing being a teenager or you were entering that middle school phase, you know. But we, we had that era of the 90s. And in the 90s, it was one of the first times where the church tried to talk about sex, 
right? Especially if you grew up in church and, and even the church, the church was kind of taking their P's and Q's from culture and the church had an impact on culture. So even if you didn't grow up in church, some of this you've either heard or you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when it comes to the moral compass of our country, they do look at the evangelical church. And so, you know, when we grew up um, and, and we're talking about sex, it was, it was different. And, and now when we were 25 years into the future, we can look back on it and we can evaluate it and we go, well, there were some good, but there was also some bad. And so, you know, during the 90s, books came out like Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody read? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You shouldn't be proud of that. Uh, but, uh, but like books like Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. And it was a book about not dating, uh, about not dating, but instead only dating the person you intended to marry. Which kind of made you think, well, then how do I find out who I'm supposed to marry, right? Um, it talked about things like, you know, it encouraged you to have complete abstinence and, and save your first kiss for your future husband or your future wife. And, you know, on your wedding day, that not just be the first time you had sex, but the first time you did anything. Which um, I've been a witness to that going terribly wrong. Uh, purity rings were a thing. Did anybody remember purity rings? I'm not going to ask you which one of you had purity rings because I could probably take bets on which one of you did. Uh, but purity rings were a thing. If you don't know what a purity ring is, think chastity belt, just a lot prettier. Um, and, you know, <laughs> a lot of guys didn't have, we didn't have purity rings, but we did have virginity cards. You know, I remember when I was in youth group, I had a literal paper, paper card in my wallet, you know, that reminded me uh, to not have sex. I guess in case I ever went flipping through my wallet looking for a condom, I would see that card and be like, oh, that's right. I'm not supposed to do this. Uh, but you know the joke about having your V card? You know, that's literally where it comes from is because the church handed out virginity cards. Um, and in youth group and in school, I remember this in school too. And in youth group in school, we used to talk about not making purple. Remember that? You know, boys were blue and girls were red and we're not supposed to mix the two and, and talk about purple, you know. They didn't teach us about making super bright red or super bright pur or red, uh, blue, you know, just purple was what they were worried about. So we weren't supposed to make purple. But I remember and what you remember when we grew up is that either directly or indirectly what we were taught is this. Sex is bad, Right. Sex is bad. And not just sex, sex, but like anything related to it. Dancing, showing too much skin, good grief, don't show your belly button because, I mean, that might drive a man crazy, right? Uh, piercings, remember, if you, you know, I remember, if, I remember my mother, if, if a girl had anything pierced other than here, then she was bad news. You know, if she had her belly button pierced or if she had, oh, if she had her tongue pierced. If you had your tongue pierced, you might as well have been a sex worker, you know, to some church people. I mean, that, that was a really, really bad thing. Um, but if you saw anybody do any of these things, if you saw somebody who was a serial dater or had piercings or had certain things, or right, you, we were very quick to label them in the 90s. We were super quick to label them, and especially women. I mean, in fact, some men could get away from this stuff and be celebrated, but women were chastised for it. And that's still even, you know, lived out a little bit today. But not only were acts taboo, but desires, desires were taboo as well, right? I mean, we, we were taught just thinking about it is bad. 
Just thinking about sex. Just thinking about being attracted to somebody. Anything. Oh, impure thoughts. Impure, 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 impure. Right? That's of the devil too. So the end result was a generation that believed that sex was bad. That, you know, to, to quote Bobby Boucher's you know, mama, that sex was the devil, right? That's what we were taught. That was what was in culture. That was what was made fun of when it came to Christians. And so we grew up believing that sex is bad, but not only that, but that sexual failure will define you forever, right? Remember having that discussion with your youth pastor or that discussion with your parent is that sexual failure will define you forever. You know, when I was growing up, my mom told me, she said, Michael, if you ever get a girl pregnant, it will be the end of your life. And she wasn't saying that she was going to kill me. She was saying, Michael, if you ever get a girl pregnant that you, she would tell me, she said, number one, I will disown you and you will have to move out of the house. Which, now that I'm like almost 35, I, I, I call bull. There's no way that would have happened, right? But that's what she told me. She told me, I will disown you. I will kick you out of the house. She said, you won't be able to go to college. You won't be able to follow your dreams. And, and so, you know, it was built up that sexual failure was this huge, huge thing. Like almost end all, be all. And you all know that because you know, some of you, you, you got pregnant when you were a teenager. Or some of you, you knew somebody who got pregnant as a teenager. And you remember the weight of that. I mean, if you saw a teenager, if there was somebody in your school who was pregnant, it was a big, big deal, wasn't it? I mean, we automatically put labels on those people, define those people. And some of you, you lived that life. You went through that. And you remember how it was something that you felt like defined your life, took over your life, was a huge weight on your shoulders, right? And so th that was a huge deal, that sexual failure would define you forever. But the other thing that happened through this whole era and, and, and where we kind of ended up with through this, that was a bad thing, is we made marriage a finish line, right? I mean, when Christians or churches or conferences did talk about this, they, their, 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 their message was very simple. You just need to wait. Just wait. And if you just wait, but then you can get married, and they would leave, literally tell you from the stage, then just go bonkers, right? And... Which was a really creepy message now that we look back on that, right? There was some really weird perverted male evangelicals that should have never said that. But we were told, just wait, get married, and then you can go to town. And then you don't have to worry about anything ever again. But here's what you all know because you're all adults in the room. It didn't get any easier once you got married. It got harder. Because now there are just as many, if not more, temptations around you. And so we made marriage this huge finish line. And Christians, Christians have gotten married. And, they, and what's happened too is we still felt guilty. We were told that sex is bad for so long that all you need to do is get married. But the problem is, is we were told for so long that sex was bad and that thinking about sex was bad. That then when we were told we could do it. We felt guilty. We were told, no one's supposed to see me naked. Oh, now well, they can. But now I don't feel comfortable with it. You know what I mean? Well, sex is terrible. Sex is bad. Don't think about it. Don't read about it. Don't do anything. And then you could do it. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm uncomfortable. And this, this, this doesn't feel right. And so what happened was, is we grew up this generation of people that didn't even know how to have a good sex life. 
that didn't know how to be intimate and didn't know how to be vulnerable and didn't know how to share their bodies with one another. And that's because we were told for so long that sex was a bad thing. And we all learned too, once we got married, is that sex and being married is not all sunshine and rainbows. That there are all kinds of other temptations all around us. And well, now what do we do? I mean, I was just told to wait and now I'm here and I can, but there's all these other complications and there's all these other temptations and my goodness, nobody's watching my back and I don't have a parent and I can go in my bedroom with whomever I want and do with whatever I want. And so what, what, what do I do now? And so we've kind of got stuck, you know, so we have to do better. Right. I mean, the church did some good things, but even some of the people who wrote these books and told us these things have gone back on what they taught us. I mean, I don't know if you know, but the author of Kiss Dating Goodbye, he's not even a Christian anymore. He's an atheist (laughs) and he's divorced. (laughs) And he'll tell you that book that I wrote is a piece of garbage. Don't ever use that. He'll tell you that. So we have to do better by our kids and and we have to understand and change some things. And the first thing we have to tell our kids is that sex is good. Okay? Sex is good. A better way of saying it is this. Sex is good when used in the right way. Why is sex good? Because God created it. It's It's not a tool of the devil. It's a tool of God. It's something that God created. And when God was done creating everything that he created, including sex, he said it was good. So sex is good when used in the right way. No person using sex correctly should feel guilt. Because here's what we've discovered about the guilt message that was shared to us in the 90s. Guilt erodes our ability to have intimacy. And this is why so many Christians have a bad sex life. Why so many Christian marriages fail. Why so many Christians statistically end up having affairs or being addicted to pornography is because guilt has eroded our ability to have intimacy with the partner that we're with. And the second thing is what we've learned is sexual failure will not define you forever. Failure, this is important. Failure is an event, not a person. Okay? Failure is an event not a person. And I know I'm preaching to the choir on this because some of you have had sex before you were married. Some of you had sex as a teenager. Some of you were, were pregnant but, but, but way before you had planned to be pregnant. And here's the thing. That is an event, but that doesn't define you as a person. Will it impact you? Yes, absolutely. Should we give it the weight that it deserves when we're talking about it with our kids? Yes, absolutely. The message is not the opposite of what the culture says, that sex is not a big deal. Sex is a very, very big deal. It is not something to be casually had. However, a failure in it is not what defines a person. And marriage is not a finish line. We have to change the conversation. It used to be we only cared about what happened from purity to marriage, but we need to broaden our scope and prepare our kids for a lifetime of intimacy and give them the skills they need, not just once they get married, but beyond when they get married too. So here are a few pointers that that me and my team put together that we believe are really, really important. The first one is this. You have to be first. This is why we're doing this now. This is why I told you if you have a toddler or if you have a young child, If you even have a baby or if you're pregnant, you need to be here. 
because you need to prepare for this right now. The thing is, is that you have to be first. Your kids should not learn things about their anatomy or sex from YouTube or from TV or TikTok or from the kid across the street or from the kids on the bus stop. They should learn it first from you. And here is why. Who they hear it from first is who they will trust. This is statistically proven. This is science. This is from tons of data. It doesn't matter if it's TikTok or if it's the kid on the bus or whomever. Whatever they learn, whoever they hear it from first is who they will return to to learn more. When they have questions... That's who they're going to go to. That's where they're going to go. If it's TikTok, then they will run to TikTok. TikTok will probably pick up the algorithm and send them more information is what will happen. YouTube, they will continue to go down the rabbit trail. And guess what? I don't think you want some person that's just, you know, holding up their phone, sharing their facts and their opinion to your kid. And there's ways to monitor that and stuff. But the thing is, is that you can only monitor so much. There's so many ways around that. The strategy has to be that that you are first. That you intentionally go and talk to them about this. To be first in order to earn their trust. The second thing is we have to move away from sexual purity and towards sexual integrity. This is a big one. There's a whole podcast in your link tree um, about this. But we have to move away from sexual purity and towards sexual integrity. It's not about not having sex. It's about having sex the right way in the appropriate context. And here's the thing. If it was created by God, there is a right way and there is an appropriate context for sex. And that's what we're going to talk about the next time. Because the thing is, is that there is a right way and there is an appropriate context. And we have to understand how to talk to our kids about that. Because the culture says there's lots of ways to have sex. Yes, there are. But there's a right way because God created it. And with everything God created, there's a right and there's an appropriate way to use it. And so we have to be able to have this conversation with them, not about purity, but about sexual integrity. About having this conversation about loving people, loving the way people, the way that God first loved us. And if we teach them about sexual integrity, you know, we did a whole series earlier this year about integrity in itself. Integrity is something that we can use across all broad scopes of our life. And if we can teach our kids about having sexual integrity, I mean, you think about it. They, they can use this even past when they're married. When they are married, when they're an adult, they can use this when they go to college. They can use this in their 20s. They can use this in their 30s. They can use this no matter what age they are. They can use this when it comes to the relationships with their coworkers or with a friend or with a neighbor. Because sexual integrity, we, we know it's breached way before two people ever have sex, right? And this is how we've seen most affairs happen is people have said, well, we're not doing anything wrong. We haven't had sex with one another. We haven't did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's much deeper than that. And what that is, is that sexual integrity. Because we know sexual integrity is breached way before anything physical ever happens. And if we could help our kids to understand that, we would save them from a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and a lot of mistakes. So you've got to be first. And I've got to talk to my kids about sexual integrity. What does that look like with a toddler? 
<laughs> right? What does that look like with my third grader? What does that look like with my 17-year-old? Well, here, here's what it looks like and what we're going to get into. Your child's sex drive should determine the speed of the car. Okay? Every kid is different. Yes, you're right. Every kid is different. And that's why you need to use your child's sex drive. And every child does have a sex drive. Using your child's sex drive to determine the speed of the car. Most of you know, I have a five-year-old son. I have an eight-year-old daughter. We had to have the sex talk. I mean, the full-blown sex talk with Olivia last year when she was seven. It's because Olivia's sex drive is completely different and ahead of anything that I assumed would have happened. But her sex drive is way different than Brayden's. Brayden, we've talked to him about anatomy and appropriateness and, and, and minding people's space and, and all that type of stuff. But for Olivia, we had to have the full-blown conversation about everything. And the reason is why is because her sex drive, she was asking questions. And her friends were talking about it on the playground. And so we had to have this conversation early. And her sex drive made it the appropriate time to talk about certain things. And you probably know this amongst your, your own kids. Is that each one is different. And there will be an appropriate time to talk to them about certain things. So... What we have for you guys and what Ashley's going to come up and, and talk about is a, a, is a phase map. And so, Ashley, come, go on and, and come up here. It's going to be on the screen. Ashley was telling me you couldn't access it on your link tree. It I did probably, pop up. It did pop up? Yeah. Okay. Great. So you can look on this on your phones, but Ashley's going to take um, about eight minutes and just go through this um, and, and talk to you about this. And what she's going to show you is that we have an idea of depending on where they are in age and in season, how do you talk to that child and what do you talk to them about? So Ashley, go ahead and take that away. All right. So if you've got it pulled up on your link tree, um, what this is, is it's a sexual integrity. It's called a phase map. And what they've done is they separated into four kind of age categories. Green is, think, zero to four years old, so up to pre-K. Yellow is elementary school, five to 11. Red is middle school, kind of 11 to 14. And then blue is your high schoolers. So when you've, when you've got it on your phone and you can blow it up, I'm going to hit just a couple of the, the bullet points on there that... Words that kind of jumped out at me. So when you're looking at those like zero to four year olds, you're, you're talking to them just, just about their body in general. You're reminding them, you're saying things like God made you, you know, the, this is the body God gave you. And isn't it amazing? And the, the biggest one that, that I wasn't prepared for as a parent, but learned to, to do is when you're, when you're teaching your kid about their body, you know, you, it's head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and then no one wants to say penis, right? Like when you're talking to your kid, you don't want to be like, and this is your penis and this is your vagina because it feels uncomfortable. But what happens is those are the words they need to learn. There's, there's so many studies about how like it's actually safe for the child to understand, like if they're ever being abused, they need to know these words and be able to share them with you. You know, you don't want your kid going, uh, that's my hoo-ha, because it just it doesn't come off well in conversations. So it's good for them to know the real names of their anatomy and then to have that discussion of that these are private areas. You know, this is these are the spaces we told our kids if it's covered up by a swimsuit, 
That's your private area. And to explain to a three-year-old when you're walking them to a pool and you have to walk through like a public locker room, you know, like it's polite to give someone else privacy for their bodies as well. So it's kind of learning that body autonomy, you know, this is me and that is you, and we're giving other people space for their bodies. And then when they come to you with questions, don't brush them off. Answer simply, but do answer them because they, they will come with questions. Some kids will come with questions at four and five years old. Some of them won't have questions till they're 10, but you want to make sure you're not brushing them off at whatever age they come. So yellow, um, the goal when you're talking to, so there's different goals for each group. Um, green was to introduce them to their body so that they know who they are and that God made them. The goal for yellow is to inform them about how things work so they understand biology and build social skills. You wouldn't always think social skills would, would mesh with like sexual integrity goals, but if you don't have relational integrity, you will really struggle with your sexual integrity. So there are actually a lot of social skills goals in the yellow section, because in order to have a good relationship when they're old, they need to be able to know what it's like to, to have a disagreement. How do you work through that? How do you be kind to someone? How do you have a best friend? So there's a lot of social skills goals in there. And then this is the age usually that five to 11 years old, where like Michael said, you want to be the first one. And, and your child will let you know when it's time, but you want to be the first one to talk to them about it. And this is, this is the age where you explain what marriage is, what uh, conception is, how their bodies will change, what is puberty. You know, one of, my, one of my sons heard the word on a YouTube video and was like, what's puberty? Okay, now we're going to have that talk. You know, like as they come to you with stuff. And then this is, this is one that um, is uncomfortable. But this is the age where it really is important that if your child has any kind of internet access, they're on your phone, they're on YouTube, on your TV, they have a tablet, you have to start talking to them about pornography. Like, it's not fun, and it's, it's, but it can, be, it can be such an easy, simple conversation, especially with, you know, like your five or six-year-old, because ads pop up on YouTube, and, and it's an accident, and you can have as many barriers as you want, but stuff is going to pop up, and to let them know... You know, sometimes people will post a picture of a private body part on the internet, and it's not good for your brain. And so what we told our kids was, if that happens, bring it to us. We took out all the shame. There was nothing attached to it other than bring it to us because one, we'll make it go away. And two, we want to know how it got there so we can prevent it from happening again. And when we took the, the shame or the, the awkwardness away from it, it, it's nothing to them. They're like, oh, okay, it's not a good thing. And we'll just make it go away. So that's the age where even if they, if they have any kind of internet access, it's important to let them know body parts are private, and if you see it, let's take care of it. So moving on to red, these are middle schoolers. And the goal of middle school is um, interpret what is changing in their bodies so they can respect themselves and grow in their own confidence. Okay? So... When I was growing up, I was telling, we were talking at our table, um, my sex talk with my mom was, it was a one and done. We did it at like, we did it in fourth grade and then we never talked about it again. It was like, it, it didn't exist. Um, I remember when she talked to my sister because my, my sister was in her room and I could hear, ew, 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 ew. Okay, okay, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. And then I remember just thinking, I, yep, I know, I know exactly what they're doing. So it was a one and done. But when you've, with the middle schoolers, the stuff that I'm hearing in youth group, like, 
continue those conversations. Like, and, and it's awkward at first, those first one or two conversations, it's going to feel awkward. But like, the, if, if they know that line of communication is open, they will continue to come back. Because if they're not talking to you, they're talking to someone. And if it's TikTok or a friend on the bus, one of my kids came up to me and this is something else I told my table, um, we, we probably have some form of a sex talk monthly. One of my kids came up and said, why does everybody laugh when you say the number 69? Okay, new conversation for today. So like, it, but, but he knows that line of conversation is always open. I'm never going to shut you down and, and we'll talk about it. And so we did. And then he knows the next time it wasn't a big deal. She didn't make this embarrassing. We're going to be fine. So you work through it. And then the last part of this is setting up those boundaries in relationships, kind of letting them know. What is acceptable behavior when you start dating? Because this is the age where everybody wants that first middle school boyfriend or girlfriend so that they can beat their friends and say, I had one first. And so setting up those boundaries as to what is too far? You know, like how do we respect yourself and respect someone else? And one more thing about this is this is the age where teach them how to get out of an uncomfortable situation. Have the talk with... You know, let's, and this is for anything, not just for, you know, some kind of sexual situation you find yourself in. But if you're at a party and teach them, walk through, script it, what can we say to get you out of there? Because at this age, they don't want to be socially isolated. They don't want to get pushed out of the friend group. So how do I get out of a party where they're drinking and I don't want to? How do I let my mom know that I need to get picked up without everybody else knowing? In, in my family, I used it twice. I, if I texted my mom, I hate broccoli. She would call me within three minutes with a family emergency and say I had to go home. And I, used, I only had to use it twice. One was I had a bunch of friends drinking, and I didn't want to. And then another time, I was 19, and a bunch of my friends were smoking pot before it was legal. And I was 19, and I still didn't want to get isolated from the friend group, so I texted my mom from college. I need an emergency. But if they have that out and that line of communication is open, then they will know if they're ever in a situation where my boyfriend is going too far with this, my mom can call me with an emergency or, or script it out so they know what to say. And then last, the high school group, this is where the goal changes a little bit. So you're, you're talking 14, 15, all the way to 18 years old, and you're, you're coaching them towards a healthy relationship so they can establish personal boundaries and practice respect in the relationship. And this is where all these other phases, you're doing more teaching and telling. This one, you're moving more towards guiding and coaching, helping them figure out their own problems, helping them work through their relationships. Um, in this stage, you're still going to discuss dating values and boundaries and, and stay nosy. Stay nosy. If you know that they're in a relationship, just don't let it. Okay. So, so who's the boyfriend? Who are, who's your crush this week? Who do, who are we going out with? Or, you know, the boyfriend or the girlfriend, where are you going? What are you doing? Keep it light, but stay nosy, stay in there and be, keep the communication open. And then the other one for this is this. I brought this up because this was never talked about in my home. Um, kids this age, they need a basic knowledge of contraception. They need to know what a birth control pill is. They need to know what a condom is and, and how it works. 
And it's not a free pass. Teaching your kid what a condom is, it's not a free pass for them to go and, and procreate and fill the earth. It's just knowledge that they need so they don't end up finding out from a friend or not finding out and ending up pregnant. And then the last part here is um, no one wants to imagine that moment where your kid sits down and tells you, I think I'm pregnant. Or my girlfriend thinks she's pregnant. But it is so, so important to, to think before time, if this happens, what your response will be. Your response in this age group will make or break your relationship. No, it won't make or break. You, can't, you, can't, you can recover from anything. But the, that moment, your response, they will remember forever and ever and ever. And if you can face your child and stay calm, freak out later when you're all by yourself, scream into your pillow, throw things, whatever it is. But when your kid's in front of you and they're saying, I did mess up, or, you know, I, I did give away my V card. I didn't get one of those. Um, <laughs> they never gave me one. So if, if you keep taking pot shots at me every time I hand you a stinking microphone. <laughs> I'm never going to be on the stage again. Enjoy it now. Um, <laughs> so... But, but they do. Make sure that you, you can keep that conversation going so that your reaction when they tell you something that you weren't expecting doesn't shut down the relationship, but keeps it going. Okay, cool. Thank you, Ashley. All right. Um, so, Ashley, you're actually going to come back up on stage. So I'm going to invite um, Ashley and Dustin and Rebecca to come up here. And we're going to move these chairs real quick. <laughs> 